Most people design products out of context. Like my favorite example is of a cash machine. If you were going to design a cash machine today, it would look something similar to how cash machines look, right? It might have a bigger screen, it might whatever, but it looked like a cash machine. Now, if you were to just build a cash machine for drunk people to use in nightclubs at three in the morning, that cash machine would be very different. The screen would be a lot bigger. Yeah, you, it wouldn't let you bring, take out 500 pounds at a time. It would have a lot more, are you sure kind of mentality. And if someone was going to design a cash machine that only worked in nightclubs, you could build something 10 times better than what exists today. So the concept of Built for Mars was people should be building their products that would work in like an alien environment. So a context that we don't know. So it's not that it is Mars or it's really nothing to do with space or anything. Although I like the concept of space. It's more build products for places that are unusual. Which brings us to the research you've been doing on banks. So I started off trying to answer the question of, are the challenger banks actually any better than traditional banks or is it all marketing? I didn't know which way it would go when I started. I'm not affiliated with any bank. This, this study wasn't in any way paid for by any banks. But when I started, I was like, either I will find out that the challenger banks aren't any better. And actually, when you pull over the kind of facade of nice design and emojis, you're left with a pretty regular bank. Well, that's all they are. They are ultimately a bank. They might be doing it a little bit differently, but it's a bank. What the study, I hope, helps educate people on is these banks are better in ways that the traditional banks aren't measuring. They're so much further ahead in terms of an experience and how things should feel and how what's going to be important in five years time. These traditional banks are very far behind on that. Is it the case that a traditional bank has been designed to be a bank for a bank by a bank? But a lot of the challenger institutions, yes, there are people within them who have banking backgrounds, but the institutions have been built for the customer. There's a case of that. There's an element that everyone likes to call technical debt, which is these these incumbent banks cannot develop as quickly. They're, They're held back by their own code, their own size. There's also the element of it's, it's an unfair comparison to, to some of these traditional banks who do many, many things. Monzo, Revolut, Starling, you know, they really only do one thing. They, they like to talk about all these features they have, but they are a current account bank largely, whereas some of these other banks do, do much more. So really what the challenge banks have shown is if you specialize in one thing, i.e. current accounts and people who have small to moderate incomes and you know, aren't looking for like investments and things. These challenger banks are great and they're much better and they're much better for the purpose. Specialization is key. And I think, I think that's kind of what's shown. What lesson can a traditional bank learn from that? Well, each traditional bank can take away the areas they have because some of the traditional banks do really well, right? So, so Barclays and Lloyd's are the two that I think do the best. Some of these other ones, what they need to take away is that this actually isn't the sort of thing that you bring in a designer a consultant designer for. This isn't you need to design a better app. This is you need a better culture of understanding experience. The world of middle managers where everybody is passing the buck to somebody else that sometimes happens in all large companies, not just banks, that is being beaten by smaller companies where the CEO is in the same office and can be approached with new ideas. It's that speed and the culture of experience that that wins. There is one thing that you, one has 
to understand about banking, and it is a regu heavily regulated industry, and it's always going to be a heavily regulated industry, because the one thing that neither of us and nobody would want is for our money not to be safe, for it not to be there when we want it to be there, for us not to be able to make the payments we need to make when we need to make them. The banks and the challenges are obviously all doing that successfully. So it comes down to the ability to react to the customer and to offer the customer a better experience. Because the one thing that I don't think I've ever heard people talk about, except in the last couple of years, is concern about the customer experience, concern about the UX. That's, that's never happened before. UX is a, is a term that's, I think, grossly misunderstood. So I would describe UX as, in terms of like an analogy, right? So if you were driving a car and you were designing the UI, so the user interface, that would be the materials you used on the dashboard, right? The buttons, the layout, uh, the screen. And somebody would design a UI that looks the best. And, and that usually tends to be a concept car. UX or experience is not just pixels on a screen, it's how does that car feel? And when you're going through a tunnel at night, can you fumble around and find the right button? Can you find the, the stereo button without looking? And on new cars with touchscreens, that's incredibly difficult. That's poor UX. They might have nicer UI, but their experience is worse. So, you know, these banks, they know experience is important because they deal with it in a physical space. If you walk into a branch of any bank, any traditional bank, you'll be greeted by someone, you know, smiling. They'll say, hey, can, how can we help you? That's experience. That's what UX was 20 years ago. But as we move more towards a world where physical branches are less important, that needs to become digital and it needs to become how much friction is there for me to do stuff? How quickly can I get things done? How confident am I using an app, using the tool? It's just a changeover, but somewhere along the way, people confused customer experience and user experience with being two separate things. What have you actually picked up on in terms of what you've already analyzed? Yeah, about halfway through now of the project, each chapter is three chapters, right? First one is on opening an account. Then there's one on making a payment. And then there's one on freezing your card. Now, all three of them show kind of different things. So the, the biggest one in terms of a headline stat is opening an account. It is considerably quicker to open an account with the challenger banks. That's not to do with their design or their app. That's to do with their internal process. They can ship a card out to you faster than a lot of these other banks. What's in the system that enables a challenger bank to do that more quickly? Good process. Well-designed automation, probably. Um, automating many parts of that process. You know, in the early days, people of, of Monzo people were physically posting every single card out. Maybe there's some level of automation in that in terms of printing labels, printing cards. And it's not just the challenger banks. Barclays also did really well. I think Barclays took three working days. Now you compare that to someone like First Direct that was, I think, in the 20 sort of range. I think I know HSBC was 38 working days, right? So compare that to HSBC. Barclays is still doing all of the know your customer checks, all of the security checks. I hope, I don't know, I hope. So it's not just the challenger banks. Some of the traditional banks have found ways to speed up that process. Maybe they don't need the branch manager of your local branch to sign off on every card, for example. It may be unfair of me to put this to you, but do you think all these new institutions are going to survive? We have a lot more banks now than we did a decade ago. Certainly they won't all survive. Certainly not. Like that, you know, we've seen a few of them already depart the UK. You can kind of split apart the world of, is this a good product? And does this product make money? The traditional banks make money in lots of areas. 
right? Even if they're squeezed on one particular point, like international payments, they've got other things they make money from. These companies like Monzo, they're struggling because how do they make money from their customers when their customers are millennials who aren't saving lots of money? Or, or not taking out loans. So that is a problem. And I think some of these challenger banks will struggle to ever make money because they're just not looking at the, the, the demographic that is making large deposits. That's the problem. Do I think the average consumer would trust their life savings in a challenger bank? Probably not. Is that irrational? Probably. But there's still a thing, right? Uh, people wouldn't put their life savings in a bank without a branch, possibly because they like the security. For a certain demographic and a certain age group, a Monzo card is a fashion accessory in the UK, it would seem to me. They, I think they would be the first to admit, you know, when people, when they show the stats and it's this many number of million people have accounts, underneath that there is how many of your users are depositing more than a thousand pounds a month. And that number is very low. You know, the majority of their consumers are people who are using this as a side bank currently. Now that might change, but that's that's where we are today. But one of the new institutions to, to actually have legs and to grow and to become profitable as they need to, they have to become the main bank of choice of the customer rather than a side bank. The chapter I'm releasing this week is on international payments. In that, Santander in, I think it was 2017, 10% of their global profits was from international payment charges. They still charge £25 to make an international payment as a flat fee. Now, Revolut is free. People expect free now. And there's, there's no way you can get around that when companies like TransferWise exist. If you were making an international payment every week, you would not use Santander. But at one point, they made a lot of money out of that. Now, you can see that these banks are going to be squeezed from all sides. And, and that's just going to happen. But you know what is possible is that one of these traditional banks... Uh, either merges or buys a challenger bank to kind of harness both of those opportunities. You've mentioned some of the issues that you've looked at or are looking at. What are the others we can look forward to? There's one on open banking. That is effectively a look at the open banking space as it exists today. There's still a lot of work to go, right? I think most people will look at open banking as being something that will be hugely influential in five years' time. But what you'll see is some of these banks have really neglected to see that, that opportunity. There's been a change in customer behavior, banking customer behavior, that has happened in the last three months that might otherwise have taken 10 years to achieve. It, it's surprising. I mean, the international payments one is, I think, the most shocking. Making an international payment with these banks is very expensive. Who are these people still paying to make international payments when it would be quicker and cheaper to open another bank account and just use that, right? You could open a bank account with, uh, you know, with one of these challenger banks and make an international payment or with TransferWise, right? Or there are, there are a bunch of other ones. You could leave your current bank, go to TransferWise, create an account, send a payment and do that quicker and cheaper than just doing it with your own bank. So, you know, how these banks are still charging money is just beyond me. And yet we're accelerating, you know, years and years, maybe a decade of natural change into a short period of time. One of them is going to be that people, you know, more people are sending money internationally and more people expect that to be free.